Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fuliana Osborne, and this is Inside Exec. Today we have a guest with us, Matt Wenberg. Matt's passion for aviation started at a very young age. He was one of those people we all envy. He was able to fly a plane before he was old enough to apply for a driving licence. Today we're going to talk to Matt about a range of experiences that he's had in his career to date, his journey from apprentice to MBA, the importance of teamwork and building relationships, producing high-quality work, time management, customer service, all sorts of things that we need regardless of where we're working. We're going to talk also about his recent completion of the Kokoda Trail Challenge, which I'm most interested in, and what we won't talk about is his sad support over all of his adult life for the Parramatta football team. <laughs> so, hello, Matt. It's a, it's a bit harsh. I know we've gone through some problems, but we'll get there eventually. Hopefully I'll see a premiership in my lifetime. Well, you know, that, that's probably a, a, a in, good indication of positive thinking. I'm very impressed. That's right. Matt, can we go back to your choice of aviation? Obviously, you, you had that passion all of your, your young life. Was it yes. the sort of thing that you thought you could possibly have a job in, have a career in? That was a bit weird, actually. I, I always thought I was going to end up in the, like the Army or the Navy, especially the Air Force. As time went on, um, I realised that was a bit more of a pipe dream and such, and then it wasn't until when I went through TAFE the teacher there said, oh, why don't, you, why don't you pick up a career as an aircraft maintenance engineer? You'll get to work on aeroplanes and still the industry that you'd want to work in, but instead of flying it, you'd be fixing it. And I was uh, silly enough to believe it was a, a very good option, which it was, which it is, definitely, still, it definitely is. But yeah, then I took that up and 14 years later, I was fixing aeroplanes. When we talk about the influences that you get at school, were you in an area where aircraft maintenance was something that might be considered for the people that were at school? No, definitely not. No, 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 no. My, my passion came through flying them. I, I always wanted to fly them. I always wanted to be the pilot. I always wanted to, mm-hmm. um, yeah, be the guy that was flying them around and fly fast. You know, every kid's dream as such. And then you wake up to the reality of how much it actually costs. And then you realise. <laughs> and that's when you realise, yeah, I can't exactly afford that amount of money every single week to get my license. Uh, mm. And that's when the te- yeah, that's like a, when I said the, the teacher turned around and said, uh, you know, why don't you try fixing him instead? You know, you get the apprenticeship, you get have you get to pay, be paid for it, you still get to be around him. And, you know, to this day, I've, I've seen a lot of beautiful sights, done lots and lots and lots of flying and such in, you know, tiny little aeroplanes that most people would think would fall out of the sky. And, <laughs> and I do tell them, less they know about flying, the better it is for them. That's right, the more relaxed you can be, yeah. That's right, yeah, ignorance is bliss in that case, yes. I'm interested, Matt, in the mindset. You obviously were quite passionate about being the pilot, being the man in charge. Was there a a leap that you had to make with your thinking that made you content with the mechanical side of it? Yeah, you know, once I got over the novelty of the fact of knowing how to fly and where I had to be, and my circumstances when I was 17 years old, mum and dad helped me out as much as they could with you know, paying for flights and stuff like that. It just got to a point where I just knew, truth be told, I was studying, when I was supposed to be studying physics in class, I actually had the <laughs> physics book in front of my flying book, just 
this uh, teacher was thinking that I was actually doing his work when I was actually still studying for flying. <laughs> so my school grades weren't exactly the best. I tried, you know, I didn't do too bad, but in saying that, they weren't exactly the best. And when that's when it sort of dawned on me that it was, was going to be a bit out of my reach at that point in time yeah. to become a, like a full-blown commercial pilot or a pilot in, the, you know, in, in any sense. Yeah. And then... Um, I was doing navigation courses in year 11. I did a, I did my basic aeronautical knowledge test in year 12, and that was the second time I did it because by that stage, I'd already had my pilot's license. It was already flying. Yeah. By the time I... And there's just the time to fill in school, pretty much. It was the, and my mindset was, it came a lot from my dad and stuff, which was, you do a job you love, you know, you never work a day in your life. Just to be around aeroplanes, just to touch them, just to get in them, just to fix them, hear the noise, and to smell them and be around yeah, them. Yeah, breathing, breathing in the Av gas, yes, I understand, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, the Jet A1 and the Av gas and all that fix them and get an apprenticeship and still be paid and don't need all these fancy degrees or qualifications all you have to do is just rock up to the door and say i'm interested and which is pretty much what i did and it just flourished into a, a career pretty much yeah having been through that experience do you see and and now a, you know a fair bit of experience in the workforce and, and seeing younger people come through do you think that that approach of having the vocational study at high school where people have definitely made a decision is helpful longer term in their careers? No, I think I've seen a few apprentices come through. I was, you know, a lot of them are very much interested in aviation and there's yep. some of them that have had absolutely no idea about aviation before, you know, six months before they applied right. for, for an apprenticeship. And what I found was is that most of them with the drive that have that want to learn regardless of what subject it is. Right. They're the better ones out yeah. of everything. Yeah. I had a few guys that were highly passionate about aeroplanes, but as soon as you as soon as you asked them to do tasks that were part of the job still but weren't touching aeroplanes, they were like, No, I don't want to do it. And mm. I was like, Well you mate, it's, it's part of your job, you've got to do it. You still gotta sweep a floor, you still have to wash a plane, you still yeah. have to you know, get all the dirty mm. stuff before you can come out and start doing all the really good jobs. And But then there was the guys that, who had the, the passion to learn where you, before you even turned around and said, jump on that broom, they're already there sweeping up. Yeah, you know? so, yeah, so, now, yeah I, remember, I remember turning around to one of our apprentices and I had this advice put on me was um, be the apprentice that when a tradesman turns around and you know, asks for help, they're going to say, no, I want this bloke yes. you know, yeah. to come and help you. You know, so mm. that's... I've tried to I've tried to live by that and every apprentice I've trained I've tried to instill that in them as well. And pretty soon there was where I was working, you couldn't beat them off with a stick, you know what I mean? <laughs> I had that many to choose from. It was Which know, which is yeah. good, you know. So what that that shows is that if you are able to impart some sort of passion and love for doing a job well, then the reward is there, regardless of what that's, the job is. That's right, that's exactly right. If you've got the passion and drive just to be able to learn and experience and try new things, step outside of your comfort zone a bit. I found that that's, that's what gets you a bit further than, say, the person that had the passion in the first place type thing. What's what's been the hardest lesson that you've learned in coming from an apprentice all the way through the ranks? Uh, really um, dealing with people. That's 
processes, procedures, they stay the same over time. That's the good thing about it all. You've always got a textbook that you can follow, but not always do you follow the textbook to be able to get a job done. And what I'm saying that the hardest thing is is that people do it different ways. And then you try and impart your knowledge onto some people and you see them, see them do it wrong or you know that someone's trying to teach you and you go, well, that's not really working the right way or you try and, you try and explain to them you know, another way and they just shut you down or they, you know, they don't want to do it. The hardest thing is that negotiation, well, more like negotiation, dealing with other people to be able to follow and get that direct outcome. That, like, you, all, you all know where you want to finish, it's how you get there. That's the problem. Everyone butts heads on how you're going to get there, mm-hmm. and that's the hardest thing I found throughout throughout working was dealing with different people, doing it different ways, in different in different fashions. So what you're saying is that actually applies even when you were an apprentice, the dealing with people in the way you described it, as oh, well absolutely. as when when you were supervising people, like other apprentices. Abs- yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. There's, I'll go from when I was learning. You have different tradesmen teaching you different ways of doing different things, you know. So, in effect, it feels like the goalpost was moving constantly all the time. You One day you'd walk in and you start doing it, and then you'd have a new teacher and they, or a new tradesman that you're working with, and, you, and they go, no, 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 don't do it like that. Do it like this. And you go, but, you know, the last guy said to do it like this. No, 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 that's not how you do it. You know, and then you go, oh, all right, well, I'll do it that way and then, and then the same thing comes back to when you're trying to teach when I found like teaching with apprentices I'd teach him a certain way to do certain things and then a different tradesman would teach him a different way of doing the exact same job but that's when I learned just to say it all now is that this is the way I want to do it this is the way I found works the best for me it might not necessarily work well for you but try it see how you go and then you know what, if you, and I, I've turned, I've actually said this to a few apprentices and that, I say, if you can find a better way of doing things, I'm always, simple as that, because I'm always about improving my processes and skills, you know, not necessarily do all the experienced blokes have the best ways of doing things. I found apprentices have a fresh look on what they're doing, that's how I've always found it. Alright, so what you're saying is is that you've got to follow the standards, so there's certain standards to, to be achieved, but the way you get there is learning from others, but you also allow room for the person to come up with their own style and come up with new ways of doing things, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right, yeah. You've got the direct line of where you want to be, and you know, you'll be left and right of that line and eventually end up exactly all in the same spot. Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an industry that's fairly well regulated safety-wise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. They say the paperwork outweighs the aeroplane. It's pretty good to fly after that. Okay. Yeah. Does that become a constraint in this, this continuous improvement approach that you've got? Yes and no. Yes, because pretty much down to design and manufacturers that determine that that is the best way that you should be fixing that type of aeroplane, we know for a fact that it's got to fly. We don't know the context behind why they have to do things like they do, if you know what I mean. That's yep. a different area. We don't get that context. We just know that it has to be within a certain range and we have to get it to that certain range and fix it within that certain range. But in saying that, it's more about the red tape, going back to what you said. Mm. It's, no, it's good because we know where we're going, but... Mm. In saying that, the red tape in between 
can be just very tedious and very monotonous. And like some steps you look at and you go, why am I doing that step for? Yeah. You know, I don't need to do it, but there's a reason behind why we don't know why we have to do those tests. Does that make sense? It must be difficult to work within that or to explain to others when, when you've, you're encouraging a questioning environment to have a process where they can't know the reasons. Well, it's not so much can't know. It's, a, it's the fact that um, I've asked several, several questions on, on that and um, the answer I've always got was, don't know, that's the way they designed it. You know, I'm not an aeronautical engineer. I'm, you know, I'm, just, I'm just an aircraft mechanic, you know what I mean? That's, that's, they're the questions you get. So you try and look up. Sometimes it's, it's be careful what you wish for. If you ask mm. a question, make sure you really want to know the answer. <laughs> the answer. <laughs> it's, just, it's interesting for us to hear because I think in with every guest we've had, with every industry that we've talked about, this has been an ongoing issue about we don't know the reasons but we just do it because it's always been done this way or no one can tell us why. And I'm fascinated that we continue to do that in, in all these industries and we still, you know, we, we'll put quality improvement in place, we'll put all sorts of other systems in place, but we still fill out the forms and send off the reports without really knowing what happens to them or why we're doing it. That's like the fixing side to it. If you want to, if you want to boil it down to it, because like, like, a couple of places I work, there's different sections. Like every company, not everyone does the exact same job. We all work together. So I find that company process policies, procedures, stuff like that, yep. it doesn't hurt. I, don't, I find it doesn't hurt to ask, even the manager, hey, why do you do this? Is there a reason behind you do this? You mm. know what I mean? Just, yep. I don't want to know the intricacies. Yeah. I just want to know. Just want to know the basis. Yeah, that's mm. good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, makes, it makes my job easier knowing that how their job sort of works, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, you so where, I mean? it's and, where and you that, fit in the process. That, yeah. That's right, yeah. I, you know, I don't mind asking for the after process. You know, I don't mind people asking me that. But with the, when it comes to actually fixing the aeroplanes and that, you know, unless you're a mathematical genius half the time, like I said, be careful of the question you <laughs> ask before. You, know, like, you don't really want to work through the answer. That's right, that's exactly right. So you, you did your apprenticeship and you worked in the industry for a long time and then you got to a point where you decided an MBA was necessary? Or interesting, or a challenge, or what? A challenge. It was more of a challenge. Okay. I sort of sat back and I watched other people have degrees. My sister went out and got a degree and things like that. And I thought, and I just thought, why can't I do that? You Good. know, I, I ne- yeah, I never, I never got the chance. Like I said, my grades weren't that fantastic at school, so there was no way I was going straight to university from school either. So I just thought, why not? Why not do a degree? It's only going to be beneficial. Later, later in life, once this one's finished and the pain and, and all that that it's caused, I'm actually trying to think of doing another one. <laughs> much to, you know, the testing of my wife and stuff like that. You know, she doesn't want me to, just knowing for the stress that it puts me through. But no, I just, I just felt like that the only way to improve myself was to, you know, actually get out there and, and do it. You know, having a uni degree wasn't like the be-all to end-all to me. It's it was never to get me financial gain. What it was, it was more to be having like um, just more doors that I could open yep. later yeah. on and, yeah. and pick. So I could, I do have the choice to pick and choose where I want to go rather than be blinkered into thinking that I've only got to go within this certain range. 
having taken on the, the, the work of an MBA with a very young family and the stress that that just brings by nature of what it is, oh, do, yes. do you think that, that it, it was actually better for you to do it after you've had these years of experience working or would, would you have benefited more by being able to do it straight from school? No, I, I would hate to think what I would have thought um, doing it from school, yeah. straight from school. Yep. Uh, definitely the experience, the experience of having just general knowledge of how businesses actually work really did help to get into the intricacies of why businesses work they do like they do. I found that, once again, it's just the experience because you could relate it to a lot of different things. There was a lot of times through the, through the course when I was what I was doing, especially the business side to it, I'd, I'd be reading a passage and I'd go, oh, okay, so that's why it happens at work. And there was one point where they, they said about just certain things and, I, and, you know, I thought I was weird, but actually, it, you know, it, it wasn't the case. It was actually, you know, a fact that people <laughs> do what they do when they do it. And I read it all in the textbooks and stuff like that and it was sort of like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, all right, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so, so, in, like so in fact, uh, by, by having the experience and then doing the study, you come out of it with a more fulfilled qualification? Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. You feel the pieces of the puzzle fit a lot better. Did you have anyone that was studying at the same time who didn't have work experience? No, no, I don't know any people that young anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so with what you said about your um, when you were at school and how you went there... And then having a gap and coming back to study again, how did you perform? Do you were you happy with your results so far? It's, it was daunting at first, mm-hmm. uh, trying to rediscover a study style. It was very hard. Tried for the first say five, five, six semesters. I actually tried different study styles until I finally landed one. I must admit, I really enjoyed the challenge. My my grades mm. actually. My grades, however, they said I had the best saying. I started doing, I was was getting credits and distinctions and, you know, a few high distinctions and stuff in my course and that. And someone turned around to me and said, no, 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 you're trying too hard. (laughs) What do you mean I'm I'm trying too hard? You know, the best phrase I've heard so far Mm. when it comes to getting a uni degree is P's make degrees. Mm. You know, so they said, no, you're trying too hard. You only need to get a P. You don't need these credits and distinctions. Look, I think the fact that you got those results, this is important because of the fact that you didn't go straight to uni and um, back to what you said earlier is by leaving it and going in the workforce, then doing your MBA, I reckon would have helped you get those high distinctions and distinctions because you could relate it to real life experiences. That's right. I mean, it's the classic case. I'm going to use military expressions. I did have a friend who, he, uh, an anecdote, a bit of an anecdote type thing, where he was a you know fairly senior warrant officer who'd been in the Air Force for 20-odd years, and the thing he detested the most was these fresh, brand-new lieutenants that were coming out of, or flying officers that were coming straight out of officer school bossing him around. Yeah. You know, whether they had zero experience, they had all the book knowledge in the world, but zero experience of how how to apply it. Yeah, it's the same 
with any industry, the experience is what gets you. It makes it more rounded. It makes it more applicable. And be able to relate to the other people within the company as well. I'm not saying it's obviously it's not the done thing, but experience does go a long, long way. There's nothing worse than having 20 years, 30 years experience and then have someone fresh out of uni come and telling you what to do and how to do it when you've been doing it for the last 20 to 30 years. I'm interested to relate that back to your actual supervisory experience on the job is that you must have had occasions where you've had people in your team who are significantly older than you (laughs) with a lot more experience. I'm just interested in the approach that you take to manage those people because it is an issue for, I think, most people in the workforce at some point in their lives. That's right. Uh, There's a few blokes that were at this one company that I worked at who have been there longer than I was alive. Yeah. And I'm (laughs) experience plus you need to go thing was um, they weren't acceptance they weren't accepting a change you try and convince them that no this is not the 60s anymore you know this is not the 70s anymore mate things are done yeah. away time so, to move on we have we've got electricity now you know yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty much you know like, you know airplanes have computers in it you know, believe it or not what we found was their knowledge of how to actually fix it was second to none you could not argue with them about that did I want to? It was more about other aspects. Everybody's favourite, occupational health and safety. Yeah. Yes, so you the know. things that have been introduced after they had started in the, their working careers, you know, it wasn't so much about the the practical side of it, but about the, the administrative side of it, shall we say. That's, yeah, that's probably the best thing. They were all very full of knowledge um, when it came to fixing aeroplanes and and, you know, I took that and ran with it, you know. But when it came to, like I said, climbing up a ladder without, you know, safety gear or doing certain things within the aeroplane to make it safe, and they go, no, 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 it's, you know, I've done this for years. And you're like, uh-uh, no, no, no. Like, seriously, mate, no, no, can you please do it this way when I'm working with you? Yeah. Pretty, pretty yeah. please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So the approach, I guess, is that you acknowledge their genuine knowledge and experience in terms of the practical tasks and you play on them doing something for you in terms of the, the other tasks that you need done. That's right. That's exactly right. Look yes. after me. I'm a young bloke. Just do it my way. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, they never say that. Never say do it my way. That's good because I think that that's the the underlying thought that from the other side of the coin most of them would have is that he's just asking me to do it my his way, and if you're not thinking that way, then that's not going to come across. No, and, and it's a lot of it's a lot of give and take. It's a lot of negotiation. And and you know what? It's as bad as this sounds. It's actually putting a lot of responsibility back on them. Does yeah. that make sense? Yes. Especially. Yeah. Especially when a supervisor comes, well, it's supervisor in that same position, but you turn around to them and say, you make it absolutely clear that that is exactly what they want you to do. But in saying that, never be afraid to say, no, I'm not doing that, if you feel that it's either going to compromise anything to do with your job in any way whatsoever. You know, just don't, never be afraid to 
say, no, I'm not doing that. I want that in writing from you before I proceed type thing. Yeah. You know, if you feel that it's bad, I've never ever thought, like, when it came to my job, my security, in the end, they're not putting food on my plate. It's my responsibility. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Man, I think we've probably covered a fair bit already in this podcast, so we might take a break and we'll ask people to join us for another podcast where we continue this discussion and we'll get on to the Kokoda Trail Challenge and some of the other challenges that you've had in your working career. So thanks for today so far and please join us again for part two of this talk with Matt Wernberg. I'm Kim Bailey, she's Juliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec.